claim against the insurance company, saying that they were destroyed in a set of small fires. Naturally, the insurance company refused to pay, arguing that he had consumed the cigars in a very normal way. The lawyer sued the company, and he, in fact, won. The judge concluded that on the wording of the policy, the insurance company was liable. It had failed to limit its liability by defining what we would amount to an unacceptable fire. So the dude just regularly smoked them, and uh, he got insurance back for them. The company, rather than incur the cost of appeal, paid $15,000 to the guy for smoking his cigars, whereupon it reported the lawyer to the, to the police. He was then arrested and subsequently convicted on 24 counts of arson, <laughs> intentionally burning insured property, and sentenced to two years imprisonment and a fine. This is a true story. The report goes on and was the first place winner in the recent Criminal Lawyers Award contest. A guy who ended up suing a company and the company then putting a charge onto him and he served two years in prison for smoking some cigars. This is the craziness of the world we live in. And how many of us get ourselves in these situations that we say to ourselves, I'm the only person who can get myself into this kind of awkward, weird situation. And it's complicated and it's strange and circumstances are all around us. And the crazier life gets, the more questions you begin to ask. And sometimes if it's more often, the more kind of negative they become, the more darker they become. And then that perspective of our life just keeps going over and over and over again until we find ourselves in this place where we say, I never knew I could get here, and yet I am in my head all the time. And then you're thinking about not only the things about yourself and your identity and your belonging and how you believe, uh, what you believe in Jesus or all of these things, they're actually against the Father. They're, they're against God himself where you're saying, man, you're not good. You don't want me here. And all of a sudden, this dark mindset begins to kind of seep and move and ex expand into multiple parts of our life. And so the goal of today isn't so much to transform you in a second. The goal of tonight is not that you leave here today just free of your depression. If that happens, man, God's good. But this is not the goal. What the goal is, is to answer some unheard questions about the things that might lead us to depression, circumstantially in our lives, and to hear what God's perspective is in those things. And that's the point. God says a lot about your spirit your emotional energy on the inside of who you are. God speaks a lot about this. The Bible speaks a lot about this. Here is a litany of different passages that talk about what it is that's going on inside you. Proverbs 12, 25, an anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Proverbs 14.10, each heart knows its own bitterness and no one else can share its joy. 14.13, even in laughter, the heart is sad and the end of joy is grief. How often has that happened with us? That sometimes you're laughing, but on the inside, you don't really feel that way. 14.30, a tranquil mind gives life to the flesh, but passion makes the bones rot. Passion is, is this kind of burning of thought. It's not passion is I'm excited about something. It's passion is in this thing that I cannot get rid of in my head. 15.4 in the book of Proverbs, the tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. 15.13, a happy heart makes the face cheerful, but heartache crushes the spirit. 15.14, the discerning heart seeks knowledge, but the mouth of a fool feeds on folly. 16.2, all a man's ways seem innocent to him, but motives are weighed by the Lord. 18.14, a man's spirit sustains him in sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear. 
In Proverbs 28.1, the wicked man flees, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as lions. See, depression in our life, in our day, affects more people than you may think it does. Depression affects so many people on such a wide scale that it has been referred to as the common cold of mental disorders, not because of its importance, but because of its pervasiveness, that everyone in the midst of this room, in our families, the people in our schools, sports teams, have felt this kind of come in and out of their lives, just like a common cold has affected us all, so has depression. Mood disorders are one of the most common mental illnesses in the general population in Canada. According to Statistics Canada on mental health, uh, 5.4 of Canadian population aged 15 years and over reported symptoms that met the criteria for a mood disorder in the previous 12 months, including 4.7 for major depression and 1.5 for bipolar disorder. Further, one in eight adults identified symptoms that met the criteria for a mood disorder at some point during their lifetime, including 11.3 for depression and 2.6 for bipolar disorder. So think of 100 people in the room, that's 10 people in the last 12 months. Don't talk about a lifetime. Studies have consistently documented higher rates of depression among women than among men. The female to male ratio averages two to one. This is all around us. This is in our schools. It's in our families. This is a Canadian issue. This is a youth issue. This is your issue. And when we begin to think about it, more often than not, a couple things keep coming into mind. Uh, one writer said it this way, that every man has his secret sorrows which the world knows not. And oftentimes we call a man cold when really he is only sad. How often have we misjudged a book by its cover? It's the moody individual in your class. It's the person who really gets on your nerve. And really we, just talk, we talk about them in such a way where they're horrible, they're evil, but really on the inside, there's so many more things going on and they're just sad. We have to take some responsibility for studying the circumstances for people's depression. I'm not saying you're the issue. I'm just saying sometimes we do not help the words that we say, I was reminded this week in the words of Jesus that every careless word will be judged. And I was thinking about that more often than not. And I'm going, man, what's like a major thing in churches and schools? And I thought about like this word gossip. Like gossip affects people really, really badly. Like gossip has brought down more churches than sexual immorality ever has. Gossip has broken up more friendships than cheating ever has or lying ever has. Gossip, this talking about someone in this negative manner has affected every single one of us and is the kind of on-ramp for this depressive mood in our lives. Uh, one guy said it this way, that gossip is the pornography of the mouth. One, it objectifies other humans. Two, it seeks an emotional rush at another's expense. And three, it requires zero love, commitment, or accountability to the one being objectified. Gossip is a reality because we like to do it. And because we like to do it, because it doesn't mean anything to us, it makes us feel better about ourselves or even on a higher plane, it affects more people than we think it does. It harms more people than we think it does. And the reach of it goes further than we could ever possibly imagine. Depression is seen in a couple different ways. One, it's, it's um, a change of mood. It's a depressed mood. Feelings of guilt, worthlessness, helplessness or hopelessness, loss of interest or pleasure in usually enjoyed activities, change in weight or appetite, sleep disturbances, decreased energy or fatigue, thoughts of death, poor concentration of difficulty or, or difficulty making decisions. 
The thing that we have often said in the church, most often, is saying, hey, you have a lot of emotions, but keep those under wraps. Jesus has you good. Don't worry about sadness or happiness or joy or any of these emotions that you feel. It's okay. Just bring them down. Kind of just be numb to the realities around you. That's often been the communication in churches. Just feel better about yourselves. And I'm going, man, that doesn't make a lot of sense for us. Um, Brennan Manning, who's this famous author, says it this way. To ignore, repress, or dismiss our feelings is to fail to listen to the stirrings of the spirit within our emotional life. Jesus listened. In John's gospel, we are told that Jesus was moved with the deepest emotions. The gospel portrait of the beloved child of God himself is that of a man exquisitely attuned to his emotions and uninhibited in expressing them. The son of man did not scorn of reject feelings as fickle and unreliable. They were sensitive and tenai to which he listened carefully and through which he perceived the will of his father for congruent speech and action. His emotions were not uh, separated from him, but they were so interwoven into how he lived her life that these were almost the, the ways uh, that he was able to collect what God was wanting to do in his life. His emotions, like, this is a big deal. Your emotions are a big deal as a Christian. Because this kind of an attitude or this thought is just all throughout the Bible. We're going to see multiple biblical characters going through things that you are going through. Jesus, as it just said, was one of them. One author uses the book of Job to illustrate what these depressive symptoms look like in a readily available real life situation. Think about the things we just talked about. Depressed mood, feelings of guilt, worthlessness, helplessness, hopelessness, loss of interest, change in weight, sleep disturbances, decreased energy or fatigue, thoughts of death, poor concentration on difficult making, and difficulty making decisions. And then look at Job's story. Job experienced extreme sadness, desire for death, sleep disturbance, pessimism about life, helplessness, view of life as worthless, physical signs of distress, loss of appetite, hopelessness of despair, weakness of body and resolve, anger, loss of self-esteem, fear of suffering, bitterness, sense of rejection. And throughout each of these passages was at the greatest point of his despair and can technically be described in our terms as someone who would be clinically depressed because of the seriousness of his symptoms and the lengthy period of duration. Man, Job is not the only one who suffered this kind of way. David was troubled and battled, uh, battled deep despair. In many of his Psalms, he writes of his anguish, loneliness, fear of enemy, his heart cry over sin and the guilt he struggled with because of it. We see huge grief in the loss of his sons. In other places, David's honesty was his own weakness and gives us hope to us who struggle today. Think about what he says in Psalm 38, 4. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. Psalm 42, 11, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. How many of us feel that way? How many of us think these things and are a little bit too scared to say them out loud? Because for Job, it was real. For David, it was real. And it's not just them. What about Jonah? Jonah was angry wanted to run away. After God called Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach to the people, he fled as far away as he could. And after a storm at sea, being swallowed by a giant fish and then being saved and given a second chance, he obeyed. He preached God's message to the people of Nineveh. God's mercy reached to all the people who turned to him, but instead of rejoicing, Jonah got mad, like really, really mad. And this is what he said. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. And even after God reached out to Jonah again with great compassion, 
In Jonah 4.9, I am angry enough to die. What about Moses, who was grieved over the sin of his people and the feelings of anger and betrayal from his own people? Moses, as a leader, was ready to quit more often than not. He came down from the mountaintop experiencing God, commandments, and have these, these special and beautiful moments that he had, and his heart cry to God on their behalf was desperate. But now, please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book that you have written. Exodus 32, 32. These are people with intense emotional circumstances and their communication to God show it. Jeremiah wrestled with great loneliness, feelings of defeat and insecurity. Look at his words in Jeremiah 20. Cursed be the day I was born. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? Elijah was a man discouraged, weary, and afraid. And after great spiritual victories over the prophets of Baal, this mighty man of God feared and ran for his life, far away from the threats of Jezebel, who was the queen at the time who was trying to kill him. And there in the desert, he sat down and he prayed, defeated and worn. He hid in this rock and he said, I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am not better than my ancestors. This man who has his life threatened, he runs away and he finds himself in this cave. And it's a beautiful scene that if you've grown up in the church, you know about that God showed up in these different ways. And, and it was a fire and God wasn't in the fire and these great winds, but God was not in the winds and it was an earthquake and God was not in the earthquake. And then there was a, a small whisper, a still small voice. And it said that Elijah finally, finally heard his voice then. It was small, it was a whisper. And I love that imagery. Because if I'm trying to talk to someone who's in the back of the room, I don't say, hey, how you doing? Are you good? Yeah, you're good, yeah. There's no way they'd be able to hear me. If I'm trying to communicate to someone who's super far away, hey, hey, how are you doing? Yelling, I'm screaming. But for God to communicate in a whisper to Elijah tells you not so much about the importance, but about his nearness. For someone to communicate to you in a whisper means that they're close. And that's the hope of what the Bible gives to us. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. It's close. Man, if you get anything out of tonight and all the thoughts that you think and the craziness of your life and just the, the things that you're constantly running to, it's, it's volleyball, it's school, it's scholarships, it's applications, it's all the things that you're running towards. And you're thinking, God, why don't you just answer me? Why are you so far away? What, my reminder hopefully today is, is that he's close to those whose hearts are broken. He's close to those whose spirits are crushed because this is exactly what he's saying of himself. Dallas Willard says this about the human character. The human spirit is an inescapable, fundamental aspect of every human being. And it takes on whichever character it has from the experiences and the choices that we have lived through our, or made in our past. And that's what it is meant to be formed. That the, the spirit within us is this emotional energy that we have on the inside. And you know how often people talk about like, go find yourself, like go within and find the real you. That's not what we're talking about here. That's not the kind of spirit that we are mentioning. What we're talking about is a spirit that God has given to you. 
the spirit that God has breathed into you, like literally the, the, the breath, the wind that fills your lungs, that every single time, every single time you, you take a breath, and that you know that that's literally from God's hand towards you. It's a, it's a gift that every single moment of ours is given to us. The spirit that he has is given to us. And we remind ourselves of this often. We think about the blessings and the gifts that he has given to us all the time. And we look at God and we go, let's just start from the place that you're good. Let's start from that place. Man, there's a pastor that I followed and he was in Texas and he got a brain uh, surgery because they found a massive uh, tumor in his brain. And he has brain cancer and they said he's terminal and he's gonna pass away and he would, he's this famous speaker and he would go everywhere and people would pray for healing uh, that he would not die of the cancer that's in his head. And he would go and he would move in, in all these different fashions and, 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 and he was trying thing after thing after thing. And I remember one time he spoke with the scars of the surgery in his head to a, a group much larger than this. And he said, you know what's crazy? What's crazy is that you and I are in the same position. What the Bible clearly says is that tomorrow is not promised to either of us. The only difference is that I'm more aware of it today than you are. And every moment, every day that we wake up is a gift from God. It's his grace upon us. Do not see him as evil and far off and angry with you, but close and near and a giver of the gift of life that he is offering to you at all times. And a crushed spirit that Psalms talks about is, is restlessness. It's, it's a spectrum from restlessness to discouragement to the want of a loss of life. That's a crushed spirit. That's what the Psalm is talking about. Man, we put so much pressure on ourselves it keeps ourselves busy. We move from thing to thing to thing to thing. We're tired. We are exhausted. We're moving from one thing to another. It's, it's school. It's relationships. It's family. It's sports. It's, it's we're moving so often with things that we never have a time to wind down. Of course, we're going to be exhausted, mentally fatigued. Think about ourselves horribly because there's a Greek motto that says the bow will break if it's always bent. You get the imagery? You have this bow and arrow and you're constantly pulling the thing back. And if you pull it back so often, if you're working it too much, eventually it's gonna break. Some of us just need to learn how to slow down. Some of us just need to look at Jesus and realize he never rushed anywhere. He never ran. He never took off. The only time that he ever rode an animal for transportation was a donkey. Those things are not quick. He took his time, he was patient. Some of us just have to relax take the pressure of ourselves and realize that you are not your own savior. And maybe that does a lot of work for us. Maybe some of us have to change the expectation of what our life looks like. What's the goal for you? What do you want for your life? Do you wanna be someone who is eased of all the pain, eased of all the anxiety, eased of all the troubles of life? Or are you the kind of person who in the end of all of this says, all I want, if all I get out of this is Jesus? Because if that's the mentality, then your depression looks different. If that's the mentality that all I want is Jesus, your anxiety looks different. These things change for you. Look at Paul. Paul's life was on the line multiple times. He had multiple problems. He had issues in every which way. And at his conversion, it was said of him, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. That's what Jesus said about Paul. Man, this guy was repeatedly beaten, thrown into prison, has the hard work of planting churches. False teachers come in behind him and ruin all of his work. 
He's beaten significantly and a couple of times left for dead. They thought he was dead and they left him. They kicked him. They beat the skin off of his back. They beat him with rods. The guy was constantly tortured. He was shipwrecked twice. Twice. Like who gets shipwrecked once and go, let's go back on a boat. No, I'm walking next time. And then on the second time, not only does he get off, then he's bitten by a snake. Would have lost my freaking mind. Here you are trying to tell people about the gospel and then your boat breaks and then a snake comes out of nowhere and bites you. Like what is happening? I thought this was the good guy. I thought life was supposed to be easy as a Christian, but for Paul, it was difficult. He was operating great power in every turn and every beating and every place that he was thrown in prison. Something was different about him. Man, if you put him in, in prison, he was gonna sing songs and convert all the guards. If you let him live, well, to live is Christ. If you try to kill him, well, to die is gain. If you tortured him, then the suffering of this day is not worthy to be compared to the future glory. You couldn't touch Paul. He's free because he knows to whom he belongs. He's free because he knows that God has not abandoned him. He's free because he knows that God is the same God that he began with and he will finish with. This is the God of the Bible who is close and is near. And if you have that kind of mentality, every single thing changes. Let me just be really honest with you. If a lot of our depression is circumstantial, we have to change the goal line. If our goal line is an easy life, then what we're asking for is more than we think it is. Because if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, the most misunderstood individual on the planet, having an easy life and following Jesus are never gonna go together. Having an easy life and following Jesus are never going to go together. And if you see pain as opposition of following Jesus, then you're always gonna find yourself in this weird tension of why is this going wrong? And then automatically putting the blame on God as if he was the one who put it there. But if the end goal is not absolute comfort, is not absolute wealth, is not absolute safety or absolute protection, but it's Jesus in the end of it, then every single piece of anxiety, every single bout of depression, every single struggle of mental health does not push you further away from Jesus, but pushes you closer to him. That's one of the things that I'm so mesmerized by David about, that he was being pursued by his son, his son. His own kid was trying to kill him. And in those moments you would go, of course, he's abandoned me, he's gone. Why is, what's the point of even talking to him? But in the moments where it was the hardest, David talked the most. Isn't that crazy? In the moments that it was the hardest, David talked the most. In severe circumstances, in the craziest of times, what you're gonna realize is he's not so far away as much as he is near. There was a bunch of hostages that were taken in the Middle East years ago, and there was all these um, reports done on these individuals. They were missionaries, and as they were taken uh, into custody from an extremist group, they were all in these prisons, and they had taken all of their Bibles, and only one corner of a Bible was ripped out and was being passed along all the prisoners for months at a time as they were stuck there. Every single day, banded every single day, they were banded together thinking that they might die that day. How terrible a circumstance, how, how weird a thought to have that today might be my last day. 
And all they had was the corner of this Bible page. And they would just pass it around and they would read it over and over and over and over again. The U.S. Army came and liberated these individuals. These hostages made it back to the U.S. And they found themselves in interviews and, and talking to one another saying, like, imagine how crazy this is. Man, don't you just wish at times that we were back there? Don't you just wish that at times we could be back in that cell? And you're thinking to yourself, what are you talking about? And their communication was, man, when my life was in the scariest point, when my life was in the most dire position, I could not have been closer to him. And when they were face to face with Jesus, nothing else compared. What I'm asking of you is not demanding of you that you are doing a bad thing. No, please do not hear that. I'm not asking you to try harder. That's not what I am saying. What I'm saying is what is the goal of your life? Is the goal of your life Jesus? Because if that is the point of why you exist, then depression can, I'm not saying always will, I'm not saying it is a good thing. I'm not saying that it is blessed or that you need it, but I'm saying it can. In instances of your life, if the goal of where you wanna go in life is correct, can push you closer to Jesus rather than further away from him. That's what I'm saying. To think of the thing that has been plaguing you most often as something that moves you closer towards him. The closest illustration that I could find is dying. And if you are not a follower of Jesus, you are trying to do everything you can to not die. It's like the number one goal of your life. But as soon as you make that transition and you give your life to Jesus and you're baptized and you are, have his spirit within you, that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross makes you a child of the living God. When that thing happens, like listen how crazy the words I'm about to say is is if that is who you are, death itself moves from being the worst of enemies to a friend who pushes you closer to who Jesus is. Isn't that crazy? The greatest enemy of the human life has now become the means for you to be with Jesus in the end. When Jesus is on the cross, and he's sitting with those guys and the other two guys are about to be crucified. One of those guys is about to die. And he looks at him and he says, today you will be with me in paradise. The worst possible reality for every human being has been reformed, removed and changed to be something that pushes you closer to Jesus. And that's crazy. Depression is horrible. And mental pain is hard. And being vulnerable about the things that are going on within you is difficult. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not trying to minimize the things that are going on in your mind. That's not the point of what I'm trying to say. But what I'm trying to say is that God himself loves you. And he is near. And he is close. And he could use anything for his glory. So for some of us, today is an action. I love how C.S. Lewis puts it. Mental pain is less dramatic than physical pain, but is more common and also more hard to bear. The frequent attempt to conceal mental pain increases the burden. It is easier to say my tooth is aching than to say my heart is broken. That's the room 
For some of us, our heart is broken. Our spirits are crushed. Life is not easy. This is a season of absolute pain. And what I want you to hear is he is near, not far. He is near. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. I love how most often the things that we think about as solutions to some of our depression and anxiety are lavish. It's a massive prayer. It's um, a life-changing moment at a camp or at a retreat. It's uh, an experience, a missions trip. Or we think of these lavish and these grand solutions to our issues. And, and I love this one passage in Proverbs 12, 25. An anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. An anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. Man, I am 100% in this boat. I think long and hard about the things that I'm really, really bad at. And I feel like I'm reminded a lot of the things that I'm really, really bad at. And it weighs on me a lot. I was listening to a guy this weekend who, uh, who he says to every pastor for them to keep a note on their phone of nice things that people say about you. So you can go back to on a daily basis and go, I'm not as bad as I think I am. And I need that sometimes. I need that. I think we all kind of need that. Man, the, the honey to the soul, the sweetness that can get you out of despair isn't something lavish. It's, some, it's somebody saying something nice. How many times have we felt that? The sweetness of someone saying, wow, you look great today. And you're like, oh my, thank you. The Lord has blessed me, right? Like it's, it's, this, it's, this, it's simple, it's tiny, it's small, and yet it does so much. John Orberg says it this way, never worry alone. When anxiety grabs my mind, it is self-perpetuating. It's, it's something that I do to myself. Worrisome thoughts reproduce faster than rabbits. It's one of the most powerful ways to stop the spiral of worry is simply to disclose my worry to a friend. The simple act of reassurance from another human being becomes a tool of the spirit to cast out fear because peace and fear are both contagious. Peace and fear are both contagious. Man, I remember sitting uh, at a conference one time and I was in the middle of it, just absolute struggle. I remember I would just be, um, I've shared this probably every time that we were in this series, but there was a season of my life where every single time I was alone, uh, I would just be crying in the car, just so broken, like crushed in spirit is lightly the way that I think this was described. And um, it was tough and trying to do ministry through the season was not easy. At one point, I remember having a full mental breakdown and calling a friend on the phone who I knew was going through a situation like this and just asked her what to do. And she just said, just try to put calming music on and just try to pray. And I remember just finding myself like weeping and weeping and weeping in my bed like for like an hour straight. Like it was horrific. And I'm like, man, if people have to do this more than just one time in their life, like I cannot imagine. And that's some of the reality in the room. And I remember being in that going like, God, you need to do something like crazy for me here. I remember going to this conference and we're sitting there and it's me and a bunch of these students and um, we, had, uh, we had this situation where as we're talking, um, the worship is going on and uh, people start praying for each other and I'm kind of sitting there and, and like not really doing anything and we had a, a, a student with us and he was mentally disabled and he's just enjoying the time and his mom had asked him to, if we could bring him and we brought him and, and it was awesome, it was fun and... Um, And in 
this crazy moment. I remember being in the middle of the worship and I just feel like a slight finger kind of like tap me on the shoulder. And it's this boy. He looks over to me and uh, in the middle of all of this, he just says, God wants me to tell you that he's proud of you. That's crazy. Isn't that crazy? Like the kindness of God, like the moments where you sit there and you think about all the things that I've said negatively towards him, all the things that I've just, I've told him that he wasn't around or he didn't care about me. It's this mentally disabled boy at a church conference who taps me on the shoulder and says, he's proud of you. And it changed everything. Man, these moments of absolute pain can, I'm just telling you from personal experience, can push you further into your love of Christ than you could ever possibly have. There was a woman, her name was Annie J. Flynn, and she went through a lot. Um, she uh, lost some limbs in a war. Uh, she was born blind and, uh, and had cancer multiple times over. And this woman's life was not easy. And she wrote a poem to talk about her experience and the pain of life. Um, and I think it's beautiful. And I think this is something to leave on for us to remember just how kind he really is. This is what he said. Uh, this is what she writes. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sends more strength when our labors increase. To added affliction, he adds his mercy. To multiplied trials, he multiplies peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed or the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. Fear not that your need shall exceed his provision. Our God ever yearns his resources to share. Lean hard on the arm everlasting, availing. The Father both thee and thy load will upbear. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he is near to those with a crushed spirit. So yes, pain is a real part of life, but it can be used to push you towards him and not further away. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we pray that in this difficulty of a topic of the things that are weighing through our minds, that we would see that this is something we are not alone with, that many of those in the Bible suffered with something much like this. And that their response was to use these moments to be closer to you rather than further away. That you could even use something like depression to push us closer to you. And even though that seems so out of touch and so weird and, and kind of strange, God, that you would do such a thing because you realize you are bigger than the fear, than the worry, than the anxiety, than the suffering, than depression, and that you are close and you are near to us, and that you are our goal, and that if you are our goal, then everything changes. I pray that we would see that. 
I pray we would reflect as we move into small groups. And I pray that we would just have our lives moved, maybe just by a slight margin, to being closer to who you are and where you're calling us to be. So, Father, we thank you. We love you. And just want to pray. Amen.